You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. Today's the last one in the series of Intriguing Women. We get to talk about Eve. She is the first lady of first ladies. Sometimes we'll hear about the president and the first lady or the prime minister and the first lady. Well, folks, Eve was the first lady of the first ladies, and we're going to talk about her this morning. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Genesis. Get your Bible out. Maybe you got your, it's on your iPhone or your iPad or your Blackberry or your Blueberry or your Raspberry, whatever to bury you got. Good to come to church with your Bible. Amen. If you don't have one, just bore your neighbors. I'm going to look on with you because we're going to read from Genesis chapter 2 from verse number 18 to 25. Genesis 18 to 25 and uh, reading about how God creates Adam and Eve. He is the maker of them. And uh, he is uh, going to be designing them. A number of years ago, there was a woman who taught 10-year-old children, 5th graders, in a Christian school. And she had an assignment for them. She actually asked them to watch TV. Unlike this little ad we saw for the movie coming up on Gifted Hands, this lady said, I want you to watch TV with a specific purpose. Look at commercials and see if you can find any commercials that communicate the way God is. And so they came back with an amazing list. List. One of them said that God is like Ford. He is a better idea. Somebody said God is like Coke. He's the real thing. Somebody else said, well, God is like Tide. He gets the stains out that others leave behind. That's a good one. And somebody else said, God is like General Electric. He brings good things to life. And somebody else said, God's like Alka-Seltzer. Try him. You'll like him. And someone said, God's like Scotch tape. You can't see him, but you know he's there. And someone else said, God is like VO5 hairspray. I was interested in this one because we have a lot of hairspray in our home with the ladies that I live with. My wife and girls, that is. It says... <laughs> <laughs> Just so there's no confusion on that. <laughs> it's not that funny, Greg. <laughs> Backtracking. Anyhow, God's like VO5 hairspray. He holds through all kinds of weather. And then finally, God's like dial soap. Aren't you glad you have them? And don't you wish everybody did? So there you go. God is like commercials. Anyhow, we're in, did you find Genesis chapter 2? Okay, that was just to give you time to get there. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. And the Lord God said, it is not good. It is not good. Oh, I thought in the creation, he said it was good. He created the light, it was good. He created that, it was good. He created this, it was good. The end of chapter 1, it says, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Now we're in Genesis 2, verse 18, and the Lord said, it is not good. Why wasn't it good? Because it wasn't good for man to be alone. He said, I will make a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called living, each living creature, that it was its name. I mean, that's a big job to name every living creature. There has to be a fair amount of, of uh, uh, smarts, if you like, to name every animal. So Adam has named all the animals. Verse 20, so Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then 
the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now, first point is God's her maker. As we're looking at this woman of Eve, and she is an, really an intriguing lady. Uh, no other woman has experienced what she's experienced because she lived in this period of innocence before there was sin in the world. After the period of innocence came a period of consciousness where people were, had a conscience of what was wrong and what was good. But when Eve lived in the garden, she didn't have that. She was a very intriguing woman. She, if you've ever thought of a woman that was... Wow, that really personifies a lady. Eve was all that and then more. She had no past. Sometimes we meet people and go, I wonder what their past is like. I wonder where they're from. I wonder what they do. I wonder where they grew up and so forth. Well, when Eve was there, she had no past. One moment there was no woman, and the next moment there was a woman. He, she was created, created from the rib of man, not from his head that she could rule over him, and not from his foot that he could trample on her, but from her, his side, from the rib. And that meant that he was to embrace her. He was to honor her, to protect her, to, to be a companion with her his entire life. Very intentional the way God creates Eve from the rib of man. To honor her, to love her. She was there to help him. And Adam was created from the dust, but... She was created out of the rib of man. And the two became one. God was her maker. God chose her. God brought her to Adam. The second point, we could talk a lot about how God made them and how they were created in the image of God. But let me go to the next point and share with you that it was her marriage that becomes interesting. She made it good. Before that, we read, it was not good. But when Eve comes in, it was good. Bible says it's not intended for man to live alone. He was to have this partner. And Eve came into his life. Now, when we do weddings here, the father of the bride will lead the bride down the aisle into the front. And sometimes the bride will be waiting outside that door. And we'll be standing up here with the groom and the best man. They're over there. And, uh, and the bridesmaids have already made the way to the front. And the music has changed. And it's just as maybe 30 seconds, maybe a little longer, maybe a minute. But for the groom, it seems like an eternity. He's waiting for his bride to come outside the door. And he's waiting, and he's waiting, and then she comes in. And, uh, and he's, he's, she's being led down the aisle with her father. And when they walk down the aisle, they walk around the back, and they come down here, and there's this amazing chemistry between the daughter and the father. Sometimes there's tears. Sometimes they're talking. But there's, there's, there's this magical moment, if you like, as they walk down to the front. As the father is bringing his daughter to the groom. And when they get to the front here, then we ask the question, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And he'll say, well, her mother and I do. And then the groom goes and he receives the bride. And then we go into the marriage ceremony. So the father brings a bride. In this case, Father God, our heavenly father, brings Eve to Adam. Now, as I said, Eve was without blemish. 
no emotional baggage, perfect human being, perfect in every way. And Adam sees her, and you can only imagine his response. He goes, whoa, man. Somebody said, whoa, man. He's, it's like, wow, what a lady. Now, he had no choices, as you can tell, but nonetheless, <laughs> he, he, there was no, he couldn't compare. He said, oh, you know what? He's pretty good, but uh, I'll, let, I'll wait for another one. No, this was it. It was perfect. We live in a world of choices. You know, we have hundreds of choices. And, and there's something to be said about that, that when you marry somebody and you, you commit yourself to somebody, you is no longer looking over your shoulders and say, what would it be like if I married that person? Or what would it be like if I married that person? No, there's a commitment that comes in marriage. Of, this is the one that I will cleave to and spend my life with. So God brings her to Adam. Adam is amazed and Eve is amazed. It's just, it's a, it's a great moment in their life. Eve's life had a lot of highs and lows. And I think this was one of the greatest highs of her life. She lived well past the fall, if you like, when they were expelled from the garden. And I wonder what she told her children and grandchildren about that. Because children will often ask, well, how did you meet your dad? I don't know what Eve would have said. Well, here's how it went. One day I wasn't, and the next day I was. <laughs> and then... Uh, the Father God took me for a walk, and he introduced me to your husband. And, oh, Adam, man, he, he's so perfect. And I just instantly fell in love with him, and God married us. And so her story would have been quite a bit different. They were brought together. They became one. They were married. Yeah, and it became good. In the text we read in verse 24, after Adam says, this is flesh of my flesh, there's a verse that Jesus quotes, Paul quotes, and is used at almost every wedding. Verse 24, therefore man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That word leave is a really strong word. It means to forsake. It means to let go. And it was talking about how we need to actually leave our parents, to disengage, if you like. Now, we always honor our parents. We certainly do that. But our allegiance is now to the spouse that we're marrying. That is where our, our commitment goes. That's where our, our allegiance is there. That becomes a priority in our life. And we leave and cleave to this one. The word cleave is the word means to glue. It means to fasten. It means to... One translation means like to weld together. I don't know if you've ever welded anything together, but it, when you bonded that together, it's very difficult to take it apart. And when, when you cleave something together, when husband and wife become one, there's this cleaving that takes place. And when you try to pull it apart, it's like two pieces of wood that have been glued together really strong. There's a ripping that takes place. And people that have gone through separation, divorces, they, they experience that ripping effect where sometimes it takes years for their lives to heal up again from the... Because the, the, you've been claved, you, you've become one. And this is what the scriptures talked about. There's a powerful union when husband and wife come together. Not just a physical union, it's much more than physical. It's emotional, it's a spiritual thing that takes place. Souls are knit together, physically one, yes, but spiritually, emotionally, we become one. And that's why the Bible is so clear that we need to leave. A lot of times the, the ripping occurs because the leaving hasn't taken place. And it's important that we not just leave family members, husbands leaving 
here as the scripture says a man shall leave his mother and father but we also sometimes have to say hey guys you can go golfing today but my priority today is my family or ladies you can go shopping today but my priority is my husband today and making that relationship a priority this one verse is a classic text in building strong healthy marriages and in order for the community to go ahead and for the family to keep going you have to build these strong healthy families and this verse is very much a big part of that so her maker was God she was a woman without a past her marriage well God brought her into Adam and it was made good and then nextly is her mistake she's known for her mistake it's an act that changed history. But I want to say this at the outset, because sometimes I think Eve gets a bad rap. And people kind of put her down and say, you know, she did this, she wasn't. But Eve was super intelligent. Even as Adam was intelligent to name all those animals, that's a great uh, sign of his intelligence that he had. She too was intelligent. She was deceived, however, by Satan. And that mistake affected all of mankind and we picked that up in genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 6 so let's take a moment to to read through that it's there in your notes now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field notice it didn't say beast of the garden it says beast of the field so he came in from the field and into the garden adam remember was given the charge by god to care for the garden and so he really should not even let this thing get in there. Her first mistake was really not to call Adam. Say, Adam, get over here. We've got a problem. This is not supposed to be here. Sin did not start on earth. Sin started in the heavens when Lucifer was cast down from the heavens when he rebelled against God. Now he brought it to the garden as he came in the form of a serpent. And this is what he says to the woman. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Can you, can you catch Satan's twist there, how he's trying to bring doubt on what God says? His mode of operation that we read about here in Genesis has not changed, folks. He uses the same plan. He has the same mode of operation that he did back then. One of the scriptures we read about, it says this, that do not be ignorant concerning Satan's devices. If you know the way your opponent works and his operation, his game plan, it's much easier to win. And God wants us to be aware of the way the enemy operates. There's a good verse. You can write it in your notes. I didn't put it in there for you. I could have. It's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, where it says that no temptation is overtaken you, but such is common to man. In other words, any temptation you have, somebody else has also gone through it and won. So there's nothing that you can't overcome with the help of God. Without his help, you can't do it. But with his help, you can always win. No temptation is overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God's faithful. He's faithful. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able. But with the temptation, he'll always provide the way of escape. And so when temptation comes our way, one of the things we need to do is just take a one-minute break. When you're tempted with something, all you need is one minute. Just say, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to look around. I'm going to do a 360 because somewhere here is my way of escape. Somewhere is a way of escape. No temptations overtaking me. God's faithful. He'll provide the way of escape. Where is it? Where's the exit door? There's a way out of this. And all you need is just like a, like a good spy movie where somebody's trapped and he's like, okay, where's the way out? I know there's a way out through this or that. There's got to be a way out here. Every time the enemy tries to come and trap you and tempt you, God's always got the way of out. So you just got to think yourself as a 007 agent or something. Okay, I know there's a way out here. And he's, I'm, I'm taking the way out. 
Now, if we know the way he traps people and we understand that it hasn't changed from the garden, he does it the same way over all these thousands of years. Think about people you know in your lifetime and then think of the generation past going all the way back. It's the same silly things that trap people over all these years. So if we know the way he works, it's going to help us. So here we are, Genesis chapter 1, verses number 2, uh, chapter 3. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. God knows the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the way he does it. He wants to get you to doubt God's word or twist God's word. For example, you'll say, well, did Jesus really say that he was the way, the truth, and the life? That no one can come to the Father by him? Is the whole Bible really inspired? Are you sure it's all inspired? What about history? What about culture? Are you sure it's all relevant? And it's those little digs. He wants you to second guess what God has said so you're no longer putting your trust, your weight on God's word. You start to put your weight and trust on what he says. So there's a shift that takes place. There's a shift from what God has said to be true and embracing that and a shift to what he has said. Now, she does speak God's word. And that's her weapon. She's only, her, her Bible is very short, two verses, but that's enough. You just need one verse is enough to send the enemy running. However, it's important that you don't misquote the verse. She misquotes the verse, she adds to what God said, and she also takes away from what God said. If you read closely what God said to what she says, you'll find that it's a little bit different. For example, God did, never did say she shouldn't touch it, yet she says to, to the serpent, God said we couldn't touch it. Well, he didn't say that. Paul tells us when he writes in the New Testament to rightly divide God's word, to handle it accurately. We're dealing with a sword. You don't, you're careful when you handle a sharp sword. God's word is a sword. It's quick. It's powerful. And the enemy absolutely fears it when you speak his word, God's word. It pushes him back on our own we have no power over him but the minute you speak his word like jesus did when he was tempted it is written it is written it sends the enemy back she had the word but she didn't accurately use it and we know the results of it first john 2 16 it's there in your notes we see the pattern in genesis is the same in john it's the same pattern when jesus is tempted i broke it down for you john writes for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh she saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. It was pleasant to her eyes, it says. The pride of life, it was desirable to make her wise. Pride came in. John says, this is not of the Father, it's of the world. Folks, those are the three things. He's still using them today. Three traps, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. How did he trap Jesus? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's how he tried to trap him. He said, turn the stone into bread, lust of the flesh. He said, look at all the kingdoms. Look, look with your eyes. Look at all the kingdoms. Just bow down and I'll give you all the kingdoms. What's that? Lust of the eyes. Pride of life. Throw yourself down from the temple. Get some angel to catch you. It'll be a great show. It'll be sensational. Everybody around the temple will go, ooh and ah, and they'll think you're wonderful. What's that? Pride of life. It's the same mode of operation. And that's what he does for us. He sets us up with the same thing. So if we know the way he works, we go, wait a minute. 
I ain't going for that. I'm not going to fall for it. It's written. Here's what God's word says. Our Lord accurately quotes the enemy, uh, to the enemy God's written word. So we see in verse 28, and I underlined it there in your notes, she saw. Notice, notice the progression here. This is how he traps us. It starts with seeing something, because you'll see a lot of stuff in your week, right? Whether it be on your computer, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be in your community, you see a lot of stuff. But the look can turn to lust. She looked, and it went from look to lust. And then she took the next step. And the desire turned to a decision. She ate. The choice turned to a chain. And then the sinner became the seducer. This is the pattern that still works today. Somebody gets caught in something, gets hooked to something, gets addicted to something. What do they do? They give it to somebody else. Why? Come join me. Sometimes it's fun for a season, but it doesn't last long. And you've probably been there. Remember when somebody said, hey, look what I found, and they offered it to you? Maybe it was a magazine, a pornography. Hey, look at this. They're hooked, and so they gave it to you. Maybe it was the first... Uh, introduction to drugs. Hey, try this. The sinner becomes a seducer. The pattern continues to this day. The mode of operation there is still to this day. So what does God do? God goes looking for them. They're naked. Now they realize that and they go and hide. And God goes and he looks for them. And his response was, it's very important because he says in verse 9 of Genesis 3, he says to him, Adam, where are you? Adam. Verse 9, Lord God called to Adam. Didn't say he called to Eve, he called to Adam. He, he held Adam responsible. Adam walked into the things wide open. If Eve was deceived, she gives it to her husband. He was wide aware of what was going on, and he takes this, and he buys into it. And God says to them, where are you? He could have said a lot of other things, right? He could have said, hey, Adam, you jerk, get out of here. I'm really fed up with this. I told you not to eat that tree. Now you, how are you doing? He's, he's not saying that. He's saying, Adam, where are you? Now, does God, did God lose him? Couldn't find him? So Adam, I, I know you're in the garden. You're somewhere. You're a good hider. Where are you? Please come out if you will. It's over. Come on out. No, God knows where he is. So why is he saying, where are you? He's saying, where are you? Because Adam needs to find out where he is. When we're deceived, we don't know we're deceived. When we're deceived, we don't know we're lost. One of the greatest things God can do for us is to say, do you know where you are? Do you know your condition? We can't receive God's redemption and his help out of sin unless we move past denial and say, yes, God, I am in a mess. Here's where I am. Help me out. That's the first step in recovery is to get past the denial and say, God, get me out of here. So he says, where are you? No more hiding. Where are you? We're good at hiding things. Just read the newspaper. You can find somebody almost every day who has been hiding a sin for years and later comes to the surface and gets exposed. The Bible does say, be sure your sins will find you out. There's a story about a guy by the name of John, and he was inviting his mother for dinner. And during the meal, his mother couldn't help noticing how beautiful John's roommate was. She had long been suspicious of a relationship between John and his roommate, and this only made her more curious. 
And so over the course of the evening, while watching the two interact, she started to wonder if there was more between John and the roommate than met the eye. And reading his mom's thoughts, John volunteered. I know what you must be thinking, but I assure you, Julie and I are just roommates. About a week later, Julie came to John and said, Ever since your mom came to dinner, I've been unable to find that beautiful silver gravy ladle. You don't suppose you took, she took it, do you, John? He says, well, I doubt it, but I can email her just to be sure. So he emailed, emailed her. Dear Mom, I'm not saying you did take a gravy ladle from my house, and I'm not saying you did not take a gravy ladle, but the fact remains that one has been missing ever since you were here for dinner. Love, John. A couple of days later, she, John gets an email back from his mom, which read, Dear Son, I'm not saying that you do sleep with Julie, and I'm not saying that you do not sleep with Julie, but the fact remains that if she was sleeping in her own bed, she would have found the gravy ladle by now. Love, Mom. <laughs> she was hiding something. Adam was hiding, and God comes along and redeems him. God's reaction was was to temper government with grace, law with love, ruin with redemption, punishment with promise. He could have just said, man, that was a bad batch. Let's start this all over again. Let's get some new dust, new rib. Ever baked a bad batch of cookies? You burnt them or something? You just say, I can't serve this to anybody. Just throw them in the garbage. Let's, back, let's make a new batch, right? He could have said, Adam and Eve, this didn't turn out very good. I'm God who'd know the difference. Let's just start with a new batch and let's start all over again and start again. He doesn't. Would have violated his laws that he works with, but also it's a picture of his grace from ruin to redemption, from punishment to promise. And our little planet Earth becomes the Waterloo of the universe. Waterloo, that one little village where the significant battle where Napoleon was defeated, became epic in history. That one little piece. And the battle of all ages takes place on our planet between evil and good. And we are characters in the drama. Wow. Where God will triumph. You know, the amazing thing about this story as I read it is where Adam and Eve were in the garden without the knowledge of sin to harass him, without that awareness. One day you and I will be in a place where sin, sickness, disease, the enemy, Satan, will never, ever have a legal place or right to surface again. New heavens and new earth. This will be dealt with for all eternity. Praise God. That's our future. Adam and Eve, before they fell, they didn't get married, and then the next day they fell. There was this period of innocence where they enjoyed the garden. They enjoyed all that God had created, free from the encumbrance of sin. It was just an amazing time. Folks, that's your future. It's coming. Then lastly was her mission. We started off with her maker, her marriage, her mistake, her mission. And she played a huge part in a brighter future. Genesis 3.15, it reads in the Amplified, and I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he will bruise and tread your head underfoot. You will lie in wait and bruise his heel. He's speaking to the enemy, speaking to the serpent, speaking to Satan, and he's saying, from the seed or the offspring of the woman is going to come somebody who's going to crush your head. And from that day on, 
The enemy was very aware of the offspring of the women. Why do you think when Jesus was born, there was great weeping because all the babies had been killed? The enemy feared the day when the offspring of the woman would crush him. He knew that it was coming. Eve gives birth to her first son, and she names him Cain. Cain meant from Jehovah. She was thinking, this is it. Yeah. She was, I would have thought the same thing. You would have thought the th same thing. God said, from your offspring will come, will crush the serpent. And so you have your first child. You go, yeah, here's the offspring. Go get him, crush it. Let's get this over with. And it doesn't happen. Cain doesn't turn out to be such a good cat. Then she, she goes into a low of her life. She gives birth to Abel and she says, vanity. Uh, this is, this is, she's depressed. Where is this going? But by the time Seth comes along, she picks herself back up and she says, appointed. There's an appointed time. A deliverer will come. It won't be my lifetime, but there's a deliverer coming who will set the captives free. Who is that deliverer? His name is Jesus. Who is the seed? His name is Jesus. And if you go to Luke chapter 3, you'll see the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there you'll find Seth. Of course, his mom being Eve, this intriguing woman who played a great part in our salvation. Yes, she made a mistake, but she had a mission to be part of our salvation. Today, our Lord is asking the same question that he did to Adam and Eve. Where are you? If you want to break free from, your, from things that hold you down, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired of being caught in some chain, maybe somebody introduced something to you and now you feel like you, you're addicted to this thing and you want to be free from it, God's saying, where are you? And as much as he provided redemption through them, there is redemption through our Lord Jesus Christ to break once and for all the bondage of sin. Sin has no hold on us when we accept the purchase price that our lord paid for us when he sent his son to die for us wow what a great story from eve an intriguing woman thank you for listening to this podcast if you would like to download free notes from this message then visit our website www.coastalchurch.org